Welcome to REI Energy and Climate Podcast. I'm Yating from REI. I'm with my colleague Jiaqiao today. Hi everyone, this is Jiaqiao Lin. Rock Environment and Energy Institute is a Beijing-based independent think tank with a focus on climate policy and energy transition. In the last week's episode, Jiaqiao and Mr. Li Jiung, climate and energy coordinator with Korea Federation for Environmental Movements discussed about South Korea's energy and climate policy in the context of COP26. And Mr. Lee also shared local media reactions to South Korea's climate commitments. So if you are interested in it, welcome to listen back to that episode. That's right. After more than two weeks of tough negotiations and lobbying work from all kinds of groups, the COP26 climate summit in Glasgow had finally drawn to a final agreement, the so-called Glasgow Climate Pact. The pact has been signed by 197 countries, ranging from the big emitters like China and India to the small island states, who are generally considered highly vulnerable to climate change. So today, we will review what has finally been achieved at Glasgow. So let's take a look at main takeaways in Glasgow Climate Summit. As Jiaqiao mentioned, a surprising and unprecedented agreement at COP26 is Glasgow Climate Pact. It requires countries to revisit and strengthen their climate commitments by the end of 2022, and also sets up processes towards delivering a global goal on high levels of climate finance. Also, other than the pact around COP, many new and enhanced climate commitments were announced by countries. For example, India has proposed to achieve net zero emission by 2070. Today, we will first talk about some key points in the Glasgow Climate Pact, and then we will focus on other climate actions which are not part of official COP discussions. That's right. We want to make it very clear to our audience. So there is a climate pact. There were lots of things happening at the COP. For example, the pledges and the actions and the climate plans. But we focus on the first part, Glasgow Climate Pact. So that's like an agreement kind of thing. You know Paris Agreement and you know Kyoto Protocol. So this Glasgow Climate Pact is a high-level overarching document. So what is the main point in the Climate Pact of Glasgow? So all countries, they have the consensus on achieving 1.5 degrees Celsius limit by the end of this century. And this is a marked attitude change among the countries as three years ago at COP24 at Katowice in Poland. I remember back then, I was there actually. So I remember back then, Saudi Arabia and the USA and uh, President Trump, they had rejected the findings of the IPCC special report on 1.5 degree. But the Glasgow final agreement puts the IPCC's findings in the front and in the center. It recognizes the impacts of climate change will be much lower at 1.5 degree compared to 2 degree and resolves to pursue efforts to stay under the lower limit of 1.5 degree. Yes, so this can be regarded as a positive action to urge countries to accelerate their development of the national climate commitments and climate action plans. 
also importantly in the mitigation section of the pact. It has called for a phase-down of coal and phase-out of fossil fuel subsidies. But it was also argued by some countries at the end because the initial language on this prevention called on all countries to accelerate phase-out of coal and fossil fuel subsidies. But it was watered down by a group of countries led by India and China. And from my perspective, although it's the first time that fossil fuel, especially coal, has been explicitly mentioned in any COP decision, so and this shift in language still weakens the global stance on coal power, especially. Coal is still currently the single biggest source of global greenhouse gas emissions, and for India and China, they are still highly dependent on coal, and their energy demand is rapidly growing. But also, why these countries now to discuss a phase out of all fossil fuels, just coal? The emphasis of coal, that um, leaving out all oil and gas would have some. Negative impacts on developing countries. Tatiao, what's your opinion on this, and why did India propose to change the initial language? That's a very interesting question, and I read lots of media coverage on this topic. Why India has changed the wording from "cold face out" to "face down"? But to me, I don't think the wording is a big issue because India's action is totally reasonable to me. They have their own plans to reduce coal according to their own dependence on energy and their abundance in coal, lack of oil and gas. So this is something that they could not change. But from the other side, developed countries should take more responsibilities as they are bigger historic. Emitters, they need to take more responsibilities in mitigating climate change than developing countries. I think that's why India has this kind of stance. So the CBDR principle has been reflected here. And if you think about India and China and other countries, they are still highly dependent on coal. And the developed countries, some of them, they have surpassed the stage of using lots of coal, and the coal usage is getting done already. So they are in the path of reducing oil and gas dependent, but why not oil and gas phase out or phase down is not mentioned in the pact. And I also noticed the attitude of Indian environmental NGOs towards India's intervention on coal phase out to phase down, and they are generally positive. So this is、uh, something amazing to find. Is it common to say that Indian? Environmental NGOs are positive on the Indian government's policy decisions or plans.、Mm, I should say that's not very common. The Indian environmental NGOs usually they are pretty、uh, critical to the government's、uh, decision, and they want to push more, especially the agenda on environmental protection. But this time, I think the NGOs from India they are more realistic. Although increasing energy demand. It's something that India needs to take care of, and also the air pollution issue India has to tackle. And coal reduction is the key. But the Indian NGOs, I think they are realistic, as I mentioned, because India has not many choices. And even them, they think India is not ready to support a coal-fired plan. 
and some Indian NGO pointed out, no matter coal face down or coal face out, the key is when India can have the coal peak and what is the amount of coal peaking and how quick India can reduce the emissions after the peaking year. That's the key. The wording is not the key. Another important takeaway from the Glasgow Climate Pact is the Article 6. Although in the pact, the Article 6 is mentioned very briefly, and it refers to other draft decisions on Article 6, especially on Paragraph 2 and Paragraph 4. And we'll be here explaining a little bit. So it's the last unresolved piece of the Paris Agreement rulebook. Article 6 is designed for countries to partially meet their climate targets by buying carbon offsets or credits representing emission reductions by others. So that's a mechanism. Modeling estimates have placed the potential savings from a globally integrated carbon market and Article 6 as high as billions of dollars every year. So that's why Article 6 is very important at COP discussions. After six years of difficult and technical negotiations, all countries have formally approved rules for implementing Article 6 of Paris Agreement. So why it's important? Because it's about money, huge amount of money. Secondly, it's related to the NDC contribution. So before the final agreement, we also analyzed and predicted the three most controversial issues in the Article 6. And my colleague Ya Ting, she wrote a paper, a WeChat paper on this issue. So Ya Ting, could you share how our predictions compared to the final results? And what do you think about the deals made on Article 6 at Glasgow? Sure. The final agreement resolves the key issues associated with paragraph 2 and paragraph 4 of the Article 6. The first one is about the share of proceeds. Under paragraph 2 covers rules for bilateral and multilateral transfers between countries. And some countries believe that under the paragraph 2, it should also implement a transaction fee, like a tax on certain carbon trees to fund climate adaptation in developing countries. Such a share of proceeds provision exists in paragraph 4. And in the final text, the battle trace of offsides between countries and the paragraph 2 will not face the tax. This is the same as our predictions, because if you levy a tax and the paragraph 2, it would limit the bilateral and the multilateral trace between countries. And the second um, sticky issue is about carrying forward Kyoto Protocol carbon credits. Paragraph 4 covers the creation of a centralized carbon offsite market system to replace clean development mechanism. And the biggest argument is how to carry out the carbon credits. It's known as Certified Emission Reduction, CRs, created under the old Kyoto Protocol. And the final agreement sets out criteria for countries to use CRs from projects registered since 2013 to meet their first NDC or first adjusted NDC. We predict that some developing countries like Brazil and India, they are holding a large amount of CRs. And developed countries like EU would both make a concession. Um, for example, countries would reach a compromise that sets a cut update. 
with carbon credits issued before that date not being carried forward. And the final agreement remains positive for those countries that hold large amount of CRs. Although their previous believe that they should all carry over CRs. I think it's not a good thing for the global emission reduction because these CRs are with low quality and they may increase the global carbon emissions. That's right. It's also my concern, actually, because those low quality and we call it great offsets because we have been doing projects years ago to see how many of these so-called gray CERs in the pipeline and will be used in the future. And the previous emission reduction, if the compliance parties use these previously emission reduction to achieve their own NDC, I think that's having a problem. Why? Because some of the offsets, the CERs, they are not additional at all. So if you see the number and the current mechanism from the pact, of Glasgow Climate Pact that will allow around 320 million carbon offsets, according to the estimate. The offsets quality, so how, ma how many of these offsets will be from the coal bed methane projects, will from the, the, the municipal solid waste incineration projects. And this is constituting a huge amount of the total carbon offsets. And also, the CERs, the so-called carbon offset projects in countries like Brazil, so how you can define the projects there are additional and sustainable. So I put a question mark here. That's true. But there is also need to consider this developing countries input in developing and implementing the CDM or the carbon offset projects. Because private sector and uh, communities had already spent considerable amount of time and money in developing and registering these CDM projects. And the last most tricky, sticky point is whether carbon credits could be claimed by both countries selling them and countries buying. In theory, there should be no double counting because it would undermine global emission reductions if both buyers and sellers calculated emission reductions corresponding to the carbon credits in their respective indices. And fortunately, the final text agreed to ensure the emission reduction in quantity only once between countries. Thank you, Yating, for your introduction and the review of what happened after Article 6 and the Paris Agreement. That's a sticky, as you said, that's a sticky part and that's a very tricky and different parties they could not agree with. And now it's settling down. So that's a good sign. Let's get back to the Glasgow Climate Pact again, because in the pact, you can see part of the finance. It's true. It's true. So every climate action has financial implications. And it's not estimated that trillions of dollars are required every year to fund all these actions necessary to achieve climate targets. But money has been in short supply, so that's why in the pact they mentioned the 100 billion promises. And there's urgency of increasing the climate financing as a year-on-year -year basis. But if you look back, back in Copenhagen time in 2009, the developed countries had promised already to commit 100 billion US dollars every year. But they fell short of 
committing those amount of money. If you look at the data of 2019, the amount of commitment from rich countries are close to 80 billion US dollars. So they are falling in short of meeting their commitments. Now within the pact, they have the new deal, and this one need to be very concrete and to be implemented, and they need to keep their promises. Developed countries already have pledged to double the amount they spend on helping the developing and poorer countries to adapt and、uh, mitigate climate impacts from 2019 levels by 2025. But there is a question. There's no standard for this climate finance. For example, we need to avoid a greenwashing. Like we cannot invest in the clean coal technology. We should pay more attention to renewable energy like wind and solar power. Not focus on, not still depend on the fossil fuel. I agree. That's a key issue. If you look at the commitments in the past several years, Japan had. Contributed the most amount of money, but what they are investing in, they have counted the clean coal technology and overseas coal financing into their commitment of the so-called climate financing, and that's having a serious issue of how you define what kind of money that can be categorized as the eligible money for climate financing. So even if it's two hundred billion by the end of Twenty twenty five, but it's not clear what kind of money can be included as the eligible money. I think that's a huge issue. There's a need of increasing the transparency and the mechanisms of the climate financing part of the pact. Well, next we will turn to other climate actions and climate commitments achieved at COP twenty six. A lot of substantial action in Glasgow happened in parallel processes that are not a part of the official COP discussions. First one is about、uh, missing reductions. At COP twenty six, over one hundred countries pledged to reduce missing emissions by at least thirty percent from present levels by twenty thirty. As we know, missing is a dangerous greenhouse gas. So, if this pledge achieved, it is estimated to avoid about zero point two degrees Celsius temperature rise by the middle of the century. So, the missing pledge is being seen as a as one of the biggest success at top at COP twenty six. But but China didn't join this agreement, and after one week, U.S. and China Glasgow joint declaration proposed that China will reduce missing emissions. So, what's the next steps of China to focus on emission reductions? Yes, as you mentioned, although China didn't join the agreement of methane pledge, but the U.S.-China joint declaration they mentioned methane, and I saw the agreement details. They have the plan of meeting next year. That means early twenty twenty two. They will meet and. To exchange the plans of how to reduce methane, so I think China's emission of methane is half of the total methane emissions in the world, and there's the pledge there, methane pledge there. So I think in total, methane emission can be covered to a large extent because U.S. and China they have this plan, so that won't be a issue to me. I think there's one huge 
issue that's from some other sectors like coal and oil and coal not now they have the plan of coal pledge although china didn't join but i mean china has the plan of reducing coal use starting from 2026 and if you see india india they have the plan of 2070 net zero emission targets so those two biggest coal users they are committing to reduce the coal i think the the trend in the future is promising in general there are many new achievements at cop 26 at the end that's back to 1.5 degree limit Currently, the global have reached agreement on limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees. So, what's the biggest challenge for the world to achieve this target? Of course, there is a huge challenge of achieving this target, because talking from 2 degrees to 1.5 degrees, and according to the modeling results, you can see the modeling results from Climate Action Tracker from an International Energy Agency. And they have the pathways of achieving 1.5 degree, but the current actions and NDCs, these all combined, that will limit the temperature rise to 1.8 degree, according to IEA. I think Climate Action Tracker, if you see their modeling results, they are a bit pessimistic, but still 1.8 degree is achievable, according to their pessimistic scenario. But what's the key part is how to reduce quicker before 2030. That's very important because the climate crisis could not wait until you could emit quicker at the year of 2040. So to us to act earlier to reduce quicker, that's a very serious step to move forward. That sounds even more promising. Uh, lastly, although these bigger uh, emitting sectors such as power and industry and uh, transportation sector, they are the biggest contributors for the global greenhouse gas emissions. So personal behavioral change and uh, their attitude are still very important. So everybody can act from now on. That's right, because we are the consumer of energy. We are the consumer of fossil fuels. So everybody needs to act from now on and this behavioral change starting from from you from me from everyone well i hope you enjoy our talk today if you have any questions about this episode you are welcome to contact us via email info at rei.rng.cn and linkedin by searching rei we wish our listeners stay well and healthy and see you next time bye bye